Some of you guys like old Western movies. Um, some of you don't, and I understand. But the few I've seen, there's always a hero, isn't there? There may be somebody in trouble, and here comes this cowboy riding into town to maybe, you know, a damsel in distress needs some help. Um, once this injustice is you know, been set right, you know, he normally rides off into the sunset, maybe with the damsel in distress with him, and they go buy a plot of land somewhere and live happily ever after. God, guys, is no ordinary hero, is he? He is so other. He's going to make the nation of Israel his people. He's going to give them a piece of land. He's going to marry Israel, and he's going to be their protector. And just as it is very, you know, there's a clear distinction between the protagonist and antagonist, okay, when we watch those old Western movies. So there is this morning, as we go through these plagues, this storyline set before us, because God has made the distinction very clear. He has a chosen people, Israel, okay, and the Egyptians. So God is very clear all the way from Genesis through the end to Revelation. You're a child of God, okay? You're either his child or you're a child of who? The devil. It's one or the other, okay? There's no middle ground. I have a hard time when people say, hey, we're just all children of God. That is one of the most unbiblical things. That is a lie from the pit of hell, okay? <laughs> you're saved or you're unsaved. That's it. That's big picture. That storyline for you and I this morning. So God will demonstrate his great love to those who are his by taking some very drastic measures to free them, taking them out of a very messy situation and taking whatever steps are necessary to free his people. And as we consider this, I want our minds to be thinking salvation. Let's be thinking redemption. Let's be looking to the cross and have that in view as we go through this. So this really helps us understand if God is for us, amen, who can be against us, right? For those that are his and those he's against, okay, those are not his. And here in Exodus, guys, we see it's better to be a slave with God on your side than to be a king who stands against God. So, who is your God? That, I believe, is the most important question that you can ask yourself. Who is your God? And we all worship something, don't we? You see, God is not just pestering these Egyptians with these plagues for no reason. He's judging, guys. And he has the right to judge, okay? He's judging the gods of Egypt. Real quick, we're going to come back to chapter 7 in a second. Look at chapter 12, verse 12 with me for a second. God says here, okay, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. This is what Wes is going to be hitting on next weekend. But I want you guys to catch what he says next. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And he tells us this again in Numbers 33, verse 4. You see, he's showing everyone that there is one God. You guys know that? There's one God. But I worship that God. 
And I have a friend who worships those gods. Aren't there many ways? Aren't there many gods? You guys know there's only one in true living God? One. So he's going to hear uh, going public with, a pow- with his power on display for all to see. That's what I love about these chapters. The Egyptians uh, from them, okay? But they couldn't. Um, they were... <laughs> For the Egyptians, guys, if we think about all these signs that happens in these chapters, these Egyptian gods should have protected the Egyptian people, but they couldn't because they're not real, okay? Um, there's about 80 major deities. I don't know how many of you guys have studied ancient Egypt. I know it's a big thing. We walked into Barnes & Noble the other day as a family, and they had a whole shelf on, like as you're walking in the doors on ancient Egypt and all the gods. I mean, this is what is selling. This is what people are into even thousands of years later. But there's about 80 major deities that the Egyptians have, and there were three natural forces that were in the Egyptians' life. You had the Nile River, you had the land of Egypt, and then you had the sky. And those are the things that they would worship. And it's cool because last week, as we considered the first two plagues, that dealt with the Nile River. And then the land is the next four okay, plagues. And then the last four deal with the sky. And you guys may have heard this said, said before, but our hearts are idol factories. Have you guys ever heard that before? Aren't we good at making idols? Man, we're just factoring them. More and more things. What new thing are you into? What new idol do we have in life? That's our human nature. Why? Because we've been worshipped, or we've been created to worship something. So you guys can jot down Isaiah 42, verse 8 with me. Because if we're created to worship something... Who is your God? And I love what the prophet Isaiah declares here. Okay, the Lord said to him, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will give to, I will not give to another. Is God pretty clear there? I am it. There are to be no others. So let's go back to chapter 7 of Exodus. We have Moses and Aaron here. They're fearless before Moses. We looked at the first 13 verses last week, and we saw in verse 1, it said, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Now, that is a boost of confidence for them. Yesterday at men's prayer, we did a teaching through Psalm 27. Do you guys know that we can have confidence in the Lord? (laughs) That's where our confidence comes from. It's because of him So, verse 10, the first part, it talks about Moses and Aaron's obedience here, just as it says there. So they showed this, you know, instinctive obedience, this immediate obedience, and loving obedience. And we should, too. If God says something, we should do it. That simple. And then he says in verse 5, I am the Lord. And this is the dominant theme throughout the ten plagues. I hope you guys are seeing that as we study through this. I am the Lord. So, and know that God's judgments, okay, they're also mingled with mercy here. And I want you guys to notice the escalating series of plagues because here this morning we're just going to look at the first nine plagues together in chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10. There's 10 total, but some observations real quick. First, each plague affected all the Egyptians, right? God's judgment, okay, it was thorough. 
Second thing to note, guys, none of them softened Pharaoh's heart. Did any of this change the heart of Pharaoh? No. Also, the first nine plagues can really be arranged into three groups. The first three, we have blood, the frogs, the gnats, okay? They harass the people. The second three, we have insects. We have the livestock that's diseased in the boils. That caused pain, them pain. And then thirdly, guys, we have the hail. And then we have the locusts and the darkness. And that all terrified them. So there's five purposes that God is sending these terrible plagues to Egypt. One of those reasons is that God is uh, to judge Egypt and her gods. Secondly, it's to compel Pharaoh to set or to free the Israelites. Thirdly, it's to prove once and for all that God himself is the only sovereign (laughs) over all of nature, over all of history. Fourthly, guys, the plague struck the land of Goshen selectively, making a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And fifthly, the plagues displayed the Lord's almighty power and also proclaimed his name. So as believers, guys, we're tempted to love, trust, and to follow things other than God. That's why John exhorts us at the end of his epistle little children last thing he says keep yourself from idols that's very important for you and i brother and sister so don't think that we are distanced from these primitive egyptians because man's heart hasn't changed a whole lot has it we're still doing the same thing today our gods just have different names So we looked at verse 17 to 25 in chapter 7. We saw the water being turned into blood. We spoke to that. I would encourage you, if you missed last week's study, catch it online. Um, But what a place to really begin, considering the Nile River there used for, you know, their transportation, their irrigation, water, food. They even set their calendar according to the river. Um, So it's really the centerpiece to the Egyptian society. And it would be similar, you know, to a catastrophe, say, taking place today. You know, what if they turned off one of our oil pipelines, okay? Or uh, the stock market would crash. What if our drinking water was contaminated? How would that affect us as a whole? It would affect everything, just not baby formula, okay? Um, So this struck even deeper when it comes to the Egyptian spiritual roots. The Nile god, Hapai was their supreme deity. And Pharaoh and all the Egyptians would often come to the river and they would worship there. So God turns this life source into a bloody stream of death. God was unequivocally superior to Egyptians' greatest deity. However, guys, Pharaoh's magicians replicated the sign through their secret hearts you see they cheaply copied these genuine miracles but they couldn't reverse it did you guys catch that i know we just got through two last week but they couldn't reverse what was happening and the trick was enough to harden pharaoh's heart so the question guys to whom are you looking to fulfill your needs to the stock market to bitcoin maybe new president or whatever, 
Guys, the answer is we need to look only to God to fulfill our needs. Only him. And then we got into chapter 8. We talked about the frogs, okay? So far, you know, of this blood-red Nile dead fish, now they send in Kermit the frog, right? Uh, the Egyptians regarded frogs as having divine power, okay? The Egyptian pantheon, they had the goddess Hec that we talked about a little bit. She had a woman's form with a frog head. The irony here is that the frogs infiltrated people's bedrooms, and the frog goddess Hecht was believed to help women in childbirth. And the further irony here, guys, Pharaoh's magicians replicated the miracle, bringing on more frogs. That's just what Pharaoh needed, right? <laughs> so the question, to whom do you look for comfort in the midst of your trials? The answer is the only true God. Now, we're going to look at some gnats, and that's where we're going to pick it up this morning in chapter 8, verse 16. And this could be really quick. This could either be species that are, are tiny, maybe stinging little bitty insects, you know, uh, that would penetrate up people's nostrils, their eyes. Maybe they were mosquitoes, lice. Okay, but we don't know for sure. But <laughs> uh, we see in verse 16 here, So the Lord said to Moses, verse 16, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and he struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with the enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast, and the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's magicians here, this, this caught my attention, guys. From this point, um, on, <laughs> uh, they could not copy any more of God's miracles. They couldn't do it any longer, verse 18. In fact, guys, they confessed to Pharaoh what? <laughs> this is the finger of God. That's pretty cool coming from these enchanters, right? Okay, and this is their last recorded words too. Did they get saved? Maybe they're about to, I don't know, <laughs> but they're recognizing who God is. I think that's cool. So in whom do you trust? That's the question. Okay, the answer, the big man upstairs, or this is the finger of God. This is the great I am. Let's look at flies now. Verse 20, and the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else. If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land, and I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be 
And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servant's house, and into the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to the God, to your God in the land. There's a guy by the name of Walter Kayser. He says the gods were thought to be uh, by ancient Near Easterners to possess no power except on their own home ground. But it's not so here, guys. Their gods have no power. So God not only protected his people, but he also afflicted the people belonging to other gods, proving his superiority, proving his sovereignty, proving his omniscience. So from this point on, guys, God will protect the Hebrews from the plagues. Catch this. Note in verse 23, there's a division, okay? A distinction between Israel and Egypt. And Egypt's always a picture of what? The world, right? Okay, so there's a distinction between the two. We see that in chapter 9, verse 4 and 26, also in chapter 11, verse 7. So Pharaoh reacted immediately, we're told, right? But not obediently. Okay, we can be quick to act, great, but is it obedience before the Lord? Go sacrifice to God within the land, he said. Now, is that what God said? No, okay? Once again, he's trying to negotiate here with God. Some have called these plagues decreation, because in creation, God took chaos and turns it into order. In decreation, God took order and turns it into chaos. So Genesis, it's kind of like a three-act play, if we consider the entire account there. We have creation, God creates, everything's good, right? Then decreation comes when? Fall, sin, right? Fell. <laughs> and then there's recreation, God saves. So that's what we see throughout history. So the Egyptians believed Pharaoh had the ability to maintain order in the universe. That's their belief. Okay, Pharaoh was deity to sustain the mat, the order of the world. You see these ancient Egyptians, okay, their concepts of truth, balance, order, harmony, law, morality, and justice. Okay, they look to Pharaoh, but only Jesus is creator and sustainer. Only he holds all things together. So to whom are you trusting for sustaining power? That's the question. Who are you trusting? To hold yourselves together, to hold your life together, your emotions together, your marriage together, the world, everything. Who are you looking to? Let's look at verse 26. And Moses said, it is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then they will not stone us. We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God and we, as he has commanded us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. And then Moses, we're told in verse 29, said, Indeed, 
I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Chapter 9, then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the land or the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, and on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all the belongings of the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So we have this livestock stock epidemic taking place here. God already destroyed their supply of fish to this point, And now there's a threat to destroy all the animals that provided meat, you know, clothing, livelihood for the Egyptians. So after this plague, there couldn't have been much food left. Think about this, guys. You see, many of the Egyptians, they worshipped the bull, Apis. Okay? Maybe that's why later the Israelites, being influenced by the Egyptians, the world, you guys remember the golden calf? Just maybe that's where they got that influence. So idolatry is when you take a good thing. Catch this, guys. Idolatry is when you take a good thing and you make it a... God thing. That's idolatry. Are good things bad things? No, they're good things. But when we make those things God, that's when it becomes idolatry. And that's what we need to be careful of, brother and sister. So an idol is anything that seizes the adoration that belongs to God. It can be a parent. It can be a child. It can be a spouse, a friend, your reputation, your goals, Anything that takes God's seat on the throne of our hearts. In all humanity, guys, all of humanity are worshipers. We're all created to worship something. We worship our sport teams. We worship our favorite bands. We worship our careers. Some people worship their sexual exploits, their hard bodies, their jobs, their house. Some worship where they live, their neighborhood, their house, the car they drive, the clothing they wear, the label that's on the clothing. So, the question. Everything hangs on this fundamental question. Who's your God? That's the question. 
Who is your functional God every day? To whom are you looking for love? To whom are you looking for joy? To whom are you looking for for satisfaction? To whom do you find your identity? That is your God. Let's take a look at verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them towards heaven. And they caused boils to break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians, they could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians and all the Egyptians. For the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken before. So these boils, you guys catch in verse 8 there, take handfuls of this soot from the kiln, right? So this soot, think about this for a second. Track with me for a moment here, guys, okay? This soot from this brick kiln, okay, of the Hebrews' slavery that God now turns into affliction of the enslavers. Hashtag justice, okay? Isn't that cool to think about? That's our God, and some people, we want it now, right? Isn't it a prayer of ours once in a while? Lord, you need to come back and set everything wrong because there is so much injustice, okay? And we know that there is a day when he's going to come and he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem, right here on planet Earth. Every wrong is going to be right. And we look forward to that day. But until then, guys... You know, why does God judge some and doesn't judge others? You guys know that he's merciful? And you know that he's the judge and he gets to do what he wants to do. <laughs> That's the cool part. So, <clears throat> as we consider this, this really comes against all their gods of healing. What are the Egyptians to do here, right? And what if medicine could heal from all diseases? And we've had great progress in recent years. It's just amazing, you know, new knees put in. Okay, people with cancer, I mean, there's some drugs and we're having great steps, you know, you know, in that process also. It's just amazing what we're able to do, medically speaking, and what some medications can do. But what if we had medicine to actually heal anything in everything? Do you guys know that you'd still have to die? <laughs> we all do. That's a fact. Everyone that has ever lived has died. We're all going to die, and we would still need spiritual healing. Great, I'm physically well. <laughs> Does that mean you're spiritually well? No, I know some really healthy people who are bound to, you know, they're going to hell unless they bow the knee and put their faith in Christ. They need a healing so badly, and they don't see it. They think they have it all together. I eat right, I exercise, I'm in good shape, I'm fit. I'm going to live a long time. And you too are going to die. And you're going to stand before your maker. Did you receive his grace or did you reject it? Did you receive Christ or did you reject him? You see, guys, the first time that we're told, 
Okay, we're told here that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Did you guys catch that? This is the first time. Pharaoh, thus far, has hardened his own heart. Now God says, all right, this is what you want. I'm going to harden your heart. And there's a purpose for it, which we'll get to in a little bit. But to whom do you look for ultimate healing? That's the question here. Let's move on to verse 13. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus is the Lord God of the Hebrews. Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all of the earth. As yet, you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. And he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and livestock in the field. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out the rod, his rod, towards heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail. And fire mingled with hail, and very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field, broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, guys, there where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Verse 27, so Pharaoh sent... And he called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thunderings and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. And the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was the head of the flax and was a bud. But the wheat and the split, uh, uh, they were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses, he went out of the city from Pharaoh and he spread out his hands to the Lord and then thunder 
and the hail ceased. The rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, and he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So we have hailstone or <clears throat> this hailstorm happening here in verse 14. Uh, these words really signal the beginning of the third and the most severe cycle of these first nine plagues. And as we read this, I think the question needs to be, where do you go for shelter in the midst of a storm? Where do you go? Where do you go for comfort? The answer is, go to this God. He is our refuge. He is our strength. Now chapter 10. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things that I have done in Egypt, in my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And that's a question that could be asked of many people today. How long? Let my people go, he says, that you may serve me, verse 4, or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into the territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, that they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field, and they shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were in the earth to this day. And he turned... And he went out from Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron, they were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses says, Well, we will go with our young with our old, with our sons and our daughters, and our flocks and our herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt and for the locusts that they may come upon the land and eat every herb of the land and that the hail has left. So stretched out his hand, um, his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land and all the day and all that night and when it was morning, the east wind brought locusts. And the locusts, they went up over the land and rested in all the territory of Egypt. 
And there it was so severe, guys. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be after them, for they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which they had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees, on the plants of the field, and all the land of Egypt. And the Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sins only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh to entreat, and he treated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Wow. How many of you guys like locusts? Just picture it. Can't even see the ground. There's so many. This is crazy. So God says right up front here in the first two verses of chapter 10, guys, that he is hardening Pharaoh's heart in order to make a mockery of the Egyptians and their pride, okay, unjust power and their false gods. There was a purpose for it. Some people are like, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, he chose to harden his heart. And then when he did it, he did it with a purpose. And I'm so glad that it shared why. And I want us to listen to Pharaoh's servants complaining to him in verse 7 to let them go, right? So to whom do you look for daily provision? That's the question. Let's read on. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more, for in that day that you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, you have spoken well, and I will never see your face again. <laughs> so darkness, pitch darkness for three days. They did not see each other. Did you guys catch that in verse 22 and 23 here? And it was also felt in verse 21. Have you guys ever been in such a dark space that you could feel the darkness? They could feel this darkness, okay? To mobilize or to stun them is what it would mean. So some have experienced a darkness. They felt an evil like this, 
Okay? Afraid of the dark? Well, who hasn't been? This is what they went through. Now, we've all heard of Ra, right? The most important god to the Egyptians. It was the worship of the sun. And Pharaoh was believed to be the incarnation of Ra. So Ra couldn't do anything to help them, guys. Isn't this kind of cool? This is coming at the end. This darkness. And I want to conclude this morning's teaching by just considering this darkness. Because it reminds me of another darkness that we read about in the scriptures. From noon until 3 p.m. on the cross. You guys tracking with me? You read about this too? The whole earth went dark. Three hours of darkness. As Jesus hung there on the cross, guys, there's nothing recorded for us during those three hours. We don't know what was taking place. It was silent. Three hours of silence as well as three hours of darkness. Yet here lies probably the three most important hours in human history. So tremendous that it cannot be described and it cannot be told. It's no wonder the sun had to bury its face and hide its glory in. Here we see Pharaoh's tirade in verse 24, 28. But Moses stands before him unafraid with authority in his voice. And he says, as you say, I will not see your face again. Guys, Pharaoh is a warning for everyone. Why is this shared with us? Why are we given these chapters? What's important about this account? Pharaoh is a warning for all of us. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I've been told it's Pride Month. So I not break your hearts. How rebellious. We are told not to harden our hearts. Jot down Proverbs 28, 14. I'm going to read it for you guys. Blessed, happy is the one who fears the Lord always. Always. But... Whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Pride is destructive, guys. We see wars going on in the world today. Why? Pride. We see many millions and millions of people who will spend eternity in hell. Why? Pride. We saw angels fall from heaven because of pride. And we celebrate pride. Some say, well, if I just saw miracles, 
then I'd be humbled. Then I would believe. I don't think that's true, guys. You wouldn't be. Pharaoh saw many signs and wonders, and he did not believe. Because Pharaoh's problem, it wasn't with evidence, it was with his heart. What's the problem of man today, guys? It's our hearts. That's why we need help. We need a new heart. And isn't that the promise of the new covenant? Isn't that what the prophets prophesied? Did God not declare, I will take your heart of stone, your hard heart. I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that can know me, a heart that I can work with, that you may live. God has given us sufficient evidence to believe, guys. Our faith is not blind. God of the Bible is the only true God. He's proven it over and over again. The evidence is all around us. But where does your heart stand before your maker? I pray if it's hard that you would consider the warnings to Pharaoh to be of utmost importance. And if you have a humble heart before the Lord, thank him for that grace and do everything in this life to stay humble. You saints who have been in the Lord for a few decades, does it still take work to keep your heart humble? It does. Because it's not natural. Our flesh doesn't like it. But God is good. And he is right. And pride says, worship this. Worship that instead. Worship yourself. Worship your opinions above your makers. That's pride. Humility says, God, you're right. I'm wrong. (laughs) They're all wrong. You're right. And that's why, brother and sister, we have such a high esteem for the word of God. And that's why God has given us a new heart. That's why, as we consider last week, the first plague, (laughs) a river turned into blood. Well, what did Jesus come doing? His first miracle was what? (laughs) Water into wine. Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. And anyone who receives him, humbles themselves before him, will receive that grace in their life and will be able to partake of the life and life abundantly that he has promised. And blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. A show of hands, how many of you guys want to be blessed, happy in this life? Cool. He's the one who fears the Lord always. So let's pray. God, I pray that you teach us more and more what that looks like to fear you rightly. God, we know we don't have to be scared of you. (laughs) You've demonstrated a love unlike any other. 
God, you showed us that love by giving of yourself completely, laying down your life that we may live. God, we read your word. We know that your love, we know who you are. We see your mercy over and over again. Even with the hard-hearted, God, you are full of compassion and mercy. We are thankful for that. And we do pray, Lord, that we would be a people who rightly fear you, that humble ourselves before you, no matter what the world says. God, they're blind, they're lost. God, they need you, they need truth, they need to be set free. God, so we would pray that you would at this time in history be at work in such a way, God, we'd even see a revival. I know that's a big prayer. A lot of people think we're too far gone but we know you. You're the one and true living God. You're big God who can do big things. God, so please, despite us, Lord, would you please move? Despite our sinfulness, would you forgive us? God, draw people to yourself. Use us as your church. Let us be light and salt in ways, Lord, that will turn people to you. God, and keep us. I pray that you would search our hearts even. I know I struggle with pride. We all do, Lord. God, and we do in such a way that we can even deceive ourselves to it. As King David prayed, Lord, would you search our hearts? And if there's any wicked way in it, would you reveal that to us? That we would be quick to repent? That we'd be quick to obey? That we'd be quick to do things your way? God, we know that you know best. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how sobering it can be. We thank you, Father, just for this account of history being recorded. Lord, it's important. I pray that you'd even just speak more to us, Lord, as we meditate upon these things, as we think through these verses. What does that mean for us? What does that mean in relation to you? God, we want to be about your business. We don't want to miss what you have. God, we are so thankful for your word today. Thank you so much for all that you're up to. Thank you for the grace that has found us. I do pray that my brothers and sisters would go in your grace today, this week. Lord, keep them near to you. I know that's the key for all of us. God, is that we are fixed upon you. God, we've been created to worship something. And that something is you, God. Let us not go astray. Help us to stay away from idols. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.